Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Have you seen this? It's a podcast. Podcasts are a new way that people communicate. A new way of people sharing ideas. It's a language. And music is a kind of language. This podcast is like music. Let's listen to this song. It's not actually a song. (laughs) You knocked it out of the park on that one, I gotta say. All right, great. Okay, so yeah, welcome to Have You Seen This. I'm Tim, uh, and this time uh, we have Jen with us. Woo! Yeah, we're here to talk about, uh, was it 1986's uh, True Stories, the film, not the album? Uh, Tim, before we get started, I just want to say I was sorry to hear that your Lego geodesic dome caved in on day 17, but uh, I'm glad that you made it out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I gotta live like the normies now. I mean, I, I think that it's a solid idea. Maybe we just got the geometry wrong, you know, but I think that living inside a Lego house is the way of the future. Well, I look forward to yours and James May's partnership on same. Yeah, romantic partnership. Woo! Um, <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny because in the last episode, I, I cracked a joke about you being buried under one by six plates, but I didn't say uh-huh. Lego one by six plates. And I realized that it was because, like, you know, in context, it's like, if I say one by six plates, it is so obvious what I'm talking Everyone about. Everyone knows what a one by six plate is. Yeah. I mean, if you had said <laughs> Tim was trapped under two by fours, people would be like, holy shit, is he okay? <laughs> like, Tim is he, never okay. Yeah. Was he wor- Was he at the Home Depot and there was an earthquake? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm better than fine, in fact, because a couple of my uh, mocks, which is a uh industry term for my own creation uh they won a couple of awards at um at this uh at this most recent uh, lego convention bricks la and you know what instead of calling you a nerd and laughing mm-hmm. like my impulses to oh, do on our film podcast i well well yeah i'm actually going to say good job tim thanks yeah it was uh yeah, it was very rewarding and there are a lot of great um well, okay. Here's the, here's the here's the the dirt though, right? There's a lot of great stuff. Uh, Mosaics one because they photograph well. I mean, you know, it was um, uh, it was it you know, Lego was a 3D medium, but you know, because it was a virtual convention, we're taking photos of it. So a lot of mosaics won, and the one that won best in show was this beautiful um, uh, I don't know. I guess it would have been like three or four feet on a side mosaic of an owl that was all in grayscale, but with these, you know, piercing orange eyes. And, you know, we were having a chat later with the, with the artist because it was amazing. Like the gradients that he got in it. And, you know, one of, one of my friends mentioned, he's like, it's amazing that you got that gradient at like, you know, with only what, like four shades of gray and black and white. And he's like, how did you do that? And the guy's like, Oh, well, let me show you here. Like, here's where I airbrushed each of the pieces. It's just like what? you fucking painted them. What you monster? You know, so. I, I, you know, I'm very peripheral, peripheral to the Lego world, but like that, like 
Why wouldn't you just use gray? I don't. Plates? E yeah. So it it kind of sucked the air out of the room. Do they we not just, like, make gray plates? <laughs> or they, ma pieces? they make they make four shades of gray, and a huh. skilled artist working in Lego could, uh, you know, could produce a you know a very nice rendering, you know, within with those colors. I mean, hell, Lego even has portrait uh. sets that they sell. Does but he just, just? Does he not know? <laughs> no, I mean, he he painted them, but I mean, he painted them in like sixteen gradients, which is why it looks so good. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, come on. that's yeah. Come on. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. So that was. I'm still mad about that. Well, all I can say is nerd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awful. <laughs> awful thing. So, and you know. And I do, I have to say, you know, just after we've told this story about you and your devotion to a very rarefied subculture, mm -hmm. I can't believe that you're about to malign this movie about weird people just doing their own thing. Because I know you are. <laughs> Bury the lead. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so this episode we're talking about uh, David Byrne's uh, True Stories. The, uh, the movie, not the album. Um, I am torn on Talking Heads because Talking Heads really resonate with me. Um, in particular, like, you know, Burning Down the House, you know, Once in a Lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, the context, context, the content of those songs, I absolutely relate to 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, Once in a Lifetime, you're talking, because you look at your life and you're like, how did I get here? You know, the decisions that I've made that have led me to this point, this is not what I planned for whatsoever. And, you know, burning down the house, like when I, um, you know, binned my uh, software development career to go be an artist in Australia. And you're just like, and that song, like you read the lyrics to it and it, it totally fits. Um, mm -hmm. uh, geez, I should have, I should have looked it up on, you know, um, whatever music genius uh, website to, to find it. But it's like, you know, not even knowing, like, you know, like having no having no safe space and like and the bottom falling out of your life and you're not even knowing how far down it's going to go. Life during wartime. Life during wartime. I also I, I love that one because seems like such a um like a ground level view of uh of of like living living through you know a wartime conflict it isn't anything about like you know heroics or like mm -hmm. you know uh the the glory of war or you know the 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 strategy or what's at stake it's just it's you know, beating down people trying to get by kind of like some uh gorilla stuff yeah yeah, same idea. A Another lot of that band early... that you love. Yeah, um, and it's funny too. Like, I got the most recent Avalanches album. Um, you know, I ordered that weeks ago, and then it finally showed up. And I'm listening to that, and I'm realizing that, like, between you know Avalanches and Gorillas and Daft Punk and like early era Pink Floyd, it's like I definitely have a type. Of just like yeah, just you know, this musical collage, this you know turntablism. Mm -hmm. Talking Heads is not that, um, but yeah, life during wartime is just it's I don't just this sort of 
life on the brink. Like, you aren't even part of an army so much. You're part of this, like, you know, resistance that's always kind of just, like, looking over your shoulder and getting by by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, it's like that Tina Turner song from Thunderdome. Uh, Jen, can't we just get beyond Thunderdome? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, anyway. I should have waited until you slammed it. <laughs> um, I like, I like Talking s- Heads. I, I They're not one of the bands that I was obsessed with growing up, but I always liked them. Um, and Remain in Light is one of my favorite albums, and I think that um, actually the soundtrack to this movie is one of is my second favorite Talking Heads album. I just love all the songs from this movie, even though I don't, I don't think it's a well-regarded Talking Heads album. That's the impression I get. But all of these songs, I think, are really beautiful and enjoyable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I, I don't know, I appreciate Talking Heads more than I like them. And yeah, mm-hmm. these, like, just looking at the track listing for True Stories, like, yeah, there are great songs on there. I, I wouldn't malign their musical output at all especially the people who aren't david byrne um <laughs> well but... i would aren't you more of a tom tom club fan would you say? i am a tom tom club yes fan. It's like, yeah they <laughs> took all the all the fun parts of talking heads and like kept that um right because this movie kind of crystallizes <laughs> something about the talking heads which is the split between David Byrne and the rest of the band that is um Tina Weymouth Chris Franz and Jerry Harrison um Mm -hmm. and there is kind of a long and bitter history there um which you can actually read about in detail in Chris Franz's uh recent memoir Remain in Love um which uh if you have a library card you can get it on the Libby app so you know it's kind of an interesting read um very much the kind of thing that a really uh, successful musician who's been in Rolling Stone and all that shit would write because a lot of it is just like, oh, and then we went to lunch with Jonathan Demi and Dennis Hopper stopped by and we were talking to Quincy Jones and blah, blah. And it's this litany of like, just like name dropping. Mm-hmm. Like that's not as interesting. The parts that Dennis really- had a BLT. The, the parts that are illuminating are, um, you know, there's interesting stuff about um, Chris and Tina's, like, longtime relationship. They've been married forever. They have kids. Like, they're one of those very lucky couples that just clicked and stay together, which I think is rare for human beings since we're seriously yeah. monogamous. That's very well, touching. Well, you know, yeah, they're they're kind of like um, uh, Jillian Gilbert and... Um... Uh, Stephen Morris of New Order. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there's that, and then um, there uh, kind of reminisces about how the band was formed, and then the really juicy stuff, which is the conflicts with David Byrne. Just, just use the pull quote from her Wikipedia article. Well, who, Tina Weymouth? Yeah. Ooh. Um, shit. Da- David is not a person capable of appreciating friendship. Yeah, um, and this is something which has come out in, not just in the book, but in, um, you know, even articles around the time when they broke up, because I think they did one last album in 1988, and then 
it was just like the, the way that the the quote unquote breakup actually happened was that they had been inactive for a few years and then David Byrne told some journalists like yeah like Talking Heads is broken up and meanwhile the other members of the band were like oh uh okay that's news to us we never talked about it mm. and you know most of the things that you read about David Byrne <laughs> is and you get an impression of like a really difficult person and someone who and this happens a lot to to bands like you'll get someone who has a vision and is going to pursue it you know mm, roger waters mm. <laughs> that was that's like the second person that i think of yeah exactly um and true stories i think is a hundred percent like david byrne like yes there's talking heads music in it mm -hmm. um the other members like briefly make an appearance like most notably in the the yeah, wild the music wildlife video. sequence right yeah but this is david burns vision and as such it is one of the most autistic movies i have ever seen <laughs> and that is a good way of putting it because i couldn't quite put my finger on what it was that i disliked about it but that is exactly it <laughs> <laughs> well for me it's not even and i liked the movie and i don't Unlike Tim, I don't have a problem with autistic people, but, Ooh, I... <laughs> um, and I have let's... a problem with one autistic person. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and let's not mince words. Like, um, if, when I say David Byrne is difficult, I'm not saying that that's because he's autistic. Like I'm, <laughs> there's a lot more in that story than just like, oh, like, you know, and, and because, and I and it's hard to talk about because there is, and I'm not like I'm not autistic. Tim's not autistic, but I know enough about the condition to see things in you know the discourse of the media or whatever, like um, stereotypes or depictions or opinions about autistic people, and you're just like, well, that's just fucking wrong. Like the assumption about autism is that it's like, you know cold people who don't have emotions you know who like at their worst like they rock back and forth or non-functional mm -hmm. um or it's kind of like the common usage of you know like uh kind of like that 4chan bullshit of like you know calling everybody like a spurg or whatever if they're yeah. like nerdy like it's it's not it's not accurate it's like a total <clears throat> oversimplification you know with the understanding that I did actually like this movie much more than the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, you know, I'm enjoying this. And then I was like, this is absolutely the vision of an autistic person. All right, good. We finally got around to it. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, this movie gave a certain podcaster his nom de plume. Yeah, because they mentioned that in, in Wikipedia. <laughs> and that's the thing that I think is great, too. Like, you and I bitch about the level of discourse. If you look up, like, you know, reviews of this, or if you look up the, um, you know, the film of the same name, you find, like, there are two critical entries on there. And they are Red Letter Media and Chapo Trap House. <laughs> like, that is, a, that is the legacy. Or it's like, oh, uh, you know, uh, what's it? Uh, what's it? Uh, Moby with AIDS or whatever, or the fat guy who's Jay's friend is like, oh, it, it never gets old for me. I've shown it to so many people. Like, 
okay, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> but like, I don't, I, I, I don't really see, like, I'm just baffled that like the legacy section of it mentions, uh, you know, the people who did the Plinket reviews, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you know, some, some other bunch uh, of nerds. Yeah, and some other bunch of Brooklyn socialites. Yeah, and this movie did yeah, not. The... This movie did not hit when it came out. Um, you don't say. I don't think that people really got it. It didn't really do well at the box office. But fast forward, and it's a Criterion movie. Yeah. Well, the weird thing, like again, I I don't like this movie, but you watch this, and then you know, oh, you see, you know, Harmony Korine, you see P.T. Anderson. I mean. Spawn yeah. Gray is in the fucking yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, it couldn't be any more of a certain type than it is. Yeah. And um, and I guess I could kind of run down the things which, to me, make it, like, an autistic film. The, um, the narration from a condescending robot. That's that's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> now, now, careful, careful. Um, the interesting thing is that, um, I, like... Uh, I hear those stereotypes about, like, you know, like, robotic-voiced autistic people and stuff like that, and that Mm -hmm. hasn't been, largely hasn't been my experience with, like, my autistic friends. Just Um, because you sound like a robot doesn't mean you can't sing. (laughs) Or vice versa, I don't know. Um, But, you know, it kind of manifests differently for for different people, so... um, Yeah, and also, like, Another reason that I dislike this movie, it it it, it prefigures Mumblecore in a way. Ugh. Yeah. Come on, Tim. Yeah, think about that. Come on. Come <laughs> on. I mean, you know, it's, it's I don't I ugh. I, I it, don't think I would have enjoyed this it was if it was Mumblecore. It's gross. It's, it's poor ugly people in flyover countries doing stupid shit. And I don't mean like like jackass stupid shit. I mean, like doing bumpkin shit. Well, it's interesting that you put it that way because, um, like, as I watched it, I was I was thinking, you know, because this is set in Texas and it's like you know a slice of Americana and it definitely um, takes a little bit of a wry look at um, very American things like you know consumerism and you know manifest destiny and all that shit. I was like, oh wow, this could really easily have been a parade of nasty stereotypes and it's really not right well i mean yeah but, you'd want to leave that to michael moore <laughs> but you know to hear your reaction to be like oh like it's just fucking ugly people being weird it's like oh well okay like i don't know like you know is that your dislike of it kind of coloring the picture because i didn't you know it's not like i found any of these people hateful not even the lady who lies all the time no, like I don't find it hateful either. It just it, it completely isn't my speed. Um, sure. Again, look, looking up other reviews of it, um, another uh, person, like a person on Rotten Tomatoes, describes it as like if the um, if if all like the residents of like you know was it Lake Wobegon just like went insane and Ugh. moved to Texas, you would get you get true stories. You know, because that's uh, ugh, that's but a- yeah. That's another thing, because, like, I was thinking about it when I was, you know, kind of doing a little cursory research on on David Byrne, because I wanted to be like, okay, like, I feel like it has been out for a while that he is actually on the fucking spectrum, but it's like, I don't want to 
like assume and be like uncorrect but like no he actually did like a fucking ama where he talked about you know being on the spectrum among like many other topics but i was looking right yeah at... being on the spectrum doesn't mean you can't be an artist but you are going to make uh, you you are going to make autistic art i guess it's like i don't he's an artist i, I mean Honey. Like, I get what you're saying, and I get the joke, but it's like, that's not always true. Like, I think just this might be a movie that <laughs> wears its autism on its sleeve, whether that was intentional or not. I don't know. I feel like this is just David Byrne sort of expressing, like, how he views the world. Right. Um, well, the, the but thing that we... Like, not every... Um, but you were going to say, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, the thing that we have um, glossed over amidst all the talk of uh, Lego conventions and autism is that True Stories takes place in the fictional town of Virgil, Texas, and it is based on um, newspaper clippings that you know David Byrne had um, poured over of just, like, sort of weird world news stuff where he was mm -hmm. just, I don't know, for some reason enraptured by the notions of just these... Uh, quotidian vignettes about, oh, here's a person who's slightly odd. Here's another person who's slightly odd. And they even do kind of state that in the movie where, you know, he's driving by this, um, you know, this suburban complex under construction. And he's like, oh, who do you think lives there? So there is kind of this curiosity where it's like, what kind of somewhat weird um, everyday lives do people get up to? And right. he, he must have just been, like, enraptured with that because, you know, he had all these clippings and he went to Stephen Toblowski, Ned Ryerson, uh, right. to, to write the script being like, hey, I have this idea and I did all these sketches based on that. Write me a screenplay. Sure. And um, I you, you're you forgetting the other co-writer, uh, Beth Henley, who probably, I, I don't know if it's well, most notable, but she wrote the play um, Crimes of the Heart. Well, Beth Henley wasn't in Groundhog Day, so I don't know who she is. <laughs> um, speaking or of sneakers. Speaking of things that aren't your thing, like right. out of out of curiosity, like I I read Crimes <clears throat> of the Heart because you know I'd heard of it, mm -hmm. um, and and I understand what it is, you know the the whole like Southern Gothic kind of black comedy of it, but mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I'm going to be a Tim here and just be, like, really mean and reductive. Like, why the fuck would I watch this play about three hysterical broads? Right, yeah. Oh, so you sound like me walking out of Phantom Thread. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, and I understand it's, like, about, um, you know, family and trauma and blah, blah, blah. But I was just like, okay, like, you know, that's funny, I guess. I get it. Yeah. But, all right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, like... Me mentioning, uh, you know, Lake Wobegon and Spalding Gray again, like, mm -hmm. I mean, my reaction is, you know, Homer hitting the TV, being like, stupid TV, be more funny. That's that's <laughs> me watching true stories. And, well, it's, and you, it and... goes back to my, my history with Talking Heads, where it's like, you know, they, they made a name for themselves when I was a little kid. And my sense of, like, goofy music was Weird Al and Talking Heads. And they are absolutely not the same. So, like, I get Weird Al as a little kid being like, okay, it's parodies. And mm -hmm. then I'm like, talking heads, this is weird, but it's not funny. Right. And the thing that you mentioned about Lake Wobegon, um, mm -hmm. like, 
made me remember that as I was watching it, I was like, kind of like, I like this, but this is a very like NPR listener ass kind of movie. Yeah, I was listening and, to. Um, the reason that I say that is like, you know, well, I mentioned earlier, I was like kind of reading up a little bit on David Byrne and like I found an interview with him, I think in The Guardian or some other British paper where that he was doing, he had this project where he was doing like this little PowerPoint presentation about uh, reasons to be cheerful. Okay. Um, you know, which is obviously about kind of like instilling hope in a very bleak time, which is like, uh-huh. oh, all right, you know, what's the story? Um, and Here's one of the things that they pulled from the show for the article. Uh, This is a reason to be cheerful. Healing the divide. Georgetown is one of Texas's most conservative suburbs, but gets all its electricity from renewable sources. Its mayor, Dale Ross, a Republican in what is considered oil country, made a decision in 2015. He ignored party orthodoxy and did what was best for his constitutions. That folks can think rationally and ignore partisan dogmas on both sides is hugely encouraging. You need... (laughs) Jen, you need to read that in your NPR voice. (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're putting way too much character and life into what you're saying when really this is more of an ASMR informational podcast. Thank you. Well, Tim, our podcast is too hot for the radio, so fuck that. I That's think. true. Yeah. And, and, also, and while you were blathering on, um, I only just put it together that, of course, the guy from Chapo called himself Virgil, Texas, based on a film made by a fellow autist. That that was the yes yes Tim that was the point that I made when I mentioned it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't put that together. <laughs> the um, but yeah, like this is some, this is some NPR ass shit right here. It's like oh, it's uh, you know it's great that, that you know this Republican is doing like, you know renewable energy, and it's like I don't know anything about this fucking like Republican mayor, but it's like what does he think? What does he think about gay and trans people? You know, like what does he think about you know people migrating across the border? What's his vaccine rollout like? Like how does he treat the homeless? Like I'm glad that you're happy about the you know yeah the renewable energy is a good thing, but like this, it's this right. very like yeah. boomer like polite liberalism where it's like oh you know we're we we can actually get along even though i'm a democrat and you're a republican right yeah um this this brand of humor reminds me of i was listening to um my my second favorite podcast after my own um (laughs) being uh 372 pages and it is you know connor listoka and mike nelson um from uh riff tracks and they review bad books and one of the things that um, Mike was talking about was that sort of um, self-congratulatory sense of humor where he's talking about, you know, he's seeing like this player of the show that like he just wasn't having it like he went there with his, his wife and the two of them were just like, you know, we can just leave. But anyway, it was like they would do a, a bit or a song and at the end, like the audience, their reaction isn't like applause or uproarious laughter it's exhaling through their nose and nodding knowingly. Ugh. It is that kind of humor that I don't like about Spalding Gray or like Wobegon or True Stories. That's really funny because like I can't like I don't know anything about Spalding Gray besides like his uh his the demise. titles. Yes, of course. Shut the fuck up. Um Oh am his... I wrong? Fuck! You're making me lose my train of thought. Um give me a sec. <laughs> um I don't know. 
I don't know anything about Spalding Gray apart from like some very superficial knowledge about his body of work. Um, I know that I don't like fucking Lake Wobegon. Like, yeah, that's just really not <laughs> my brand. Of, like, I don't, I don't like all that Lake Wobegon. Like, wait, wait, don't tell me bullshit. So I admit I was oh, surprised yeah. when I did end up liking this movie. Um, I did. I had seen it when I was a teenager. And of course, I wasn't going to fucking get anything out of it. I just remember being mm -hmm. baffled for the most part. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like baffled, but not entertained. <laughs> but I was drawn in by Burns' eye as a director. Um, he, a lot of these shots are like really beautifully composed. And it's a very... That's the cinematographer, Jen. Uh, well, you can't tell me that he didn't at least have some input. Like, yeah, like you have somebody lensing it, but I mean, are, are you being funny or am I missing something? No, no, I mean, I, I'm being funny, but I'm also correct. Because, <laughs> yeah, there are nice things, too. Like, in particular, when John Goodman's character is introduced and he's, he's in a yellow-lit clearing room opposite a red-lit, like, external room. And the way that's framed, you're like, yeah, that looks really nice. Uh, John Goodman, the goat. Yeah, he's, he's so good, he's good in, in everything. Yeah, yeah, he's so he's he's so fucking good in this. And but um, yeah, and also like to get back to me, it's just this befuddled child watching Talking I, Heads videos. You didn't you didn't let me finish my point about you know Burns like compositions, which okay, yes, okay. that is very true. Um, I and I don't want to fall into the trap of pushing Burn as auteur as much as he just kind of cut his bandmates out of the visualizing of this film he took he took the, he took uh beth henley and steven tobolowsky's script and as i discovered when i was researching this like there's ex there's very very little left of their screenplay and what ended up on the screen apparently david byrne just pretty much rewrote it from whole yeah. cloth yeah he he rewrote tobolowsky's script but gave him writing credit so it wouldn't look like a vanity project Except Tobolowsky mm. <laughs> didn't write it, and it is right. Yes, we, and without being like, oh, like Brune is this like auteur? It's like no, this is this is his his lens, his vision. Like yes, the crew has input, but you know, there are too many emotions in the story. I'm gonna have to take them out. Um, <laughs> and that's another thing, like um, you know, regarding like uh, stereotypes of the autistic, like you know, people. Um, including his bandmates, you know, have this notion of like, um, autistic people as being like emotionalists. But in my experience, what I found is that they're not emotionalists. It's, it's almost that their emotions can be so strong and easily overloaded. They become very avoidant. Mm -hmm. Um, because the people that I know with autism, like, you know, knowing them well, I know that they feel things like very strongly and intensely. Um, and right. Well, I mean, you could say like, you know, the language of emotions is not a native language. Yeah. And it does. And that kind of is what gives me the autism vibe about this movie is it's someone observing, but in an extremely detached way. Yeah. Which is, which I mean, as a somewhat normal person that's kind of what i find off-putting about it where it's like i don't know what i'm supposed to be getting out of this because it's sort of like here are things that are presented but it's like 
hey, there there it is. Like the narrative is is a flat line for the most part. It's like here here are things that are happening. Here's some more things that are happening. John Goodman is looking for a date. And like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Well, how do you compare this to, um, you know, a very cold movie like Crash? The Cronenberg Crash, of course. The good one? Um, yeah. Well, I wouldn't call that a, a cold movie. I mean, that I, I wouldn't even compare the two. I mean, I would say compare it more with like Gummo or Magnolia. Because Magnolia is a lot of parts that don't add up to anything. Well, Gummo is a lot of stuff that just happens. Well, I evoke Crash because my experience of watching Crash was just incredible detachment. Yeah, like, well, I mean, and, that's, and that's... sexuality, like, and you know, I'm not saying that it's bad. Like, Crash is an extremely good movie and an important yeah. movie, in in my opinion, um, particularly because of its sexual frankness. But, um, you know, because it is a movie about trauma, it's like there is this very intense detachment o around even like very intense sexual experiences or contact. And, you know, to watch a movie about sexuality, which drains it of human emotion and feeling. Yeah, that can be very, um, yeah, you know, off-putting sounds negative, but you know i remember being... off-putting is fine sure but you know i was like really disconcerted watching crash you know because it the, because the movie is so cold and yeah well i mean i would say yeah it could be you know it's people um uh sort of addressing trauma through sexuality not sexuality like you know as a um sort of a, a an end like unto itself mm -hmm. it, it yeah, yeah it isn't something that you're doing for like the enjoyment of it it's something that you're doing to uh i don't know to ex express some kind of trauma i'm i'm not quite sure how to describe it but yeah it's yeah they're 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 weirdos who are, who are fucked up and right. it just comes out that way that has nothing to do with true stories true stories is just here's a bunch of bumpkins doing odd stuff and the the thing that I am of two minds about is that, you know, the the reviews describe this as um, unique in that it doesn't take a a, a condescending or uh, scornful look at these things or at these characters, and I'm really not quite sure how it feels about them. Maybe you know, if we take this autistic thesis that it doesn't feel one way or another about them, it merely presents these things being like, huh. Would you look at that? Because, I mean, there's a parade with, like, you know, the, like, the color guard and Shriners and, like, <laughs> I love the, the Shriners the, like, where the, like, I love the bit where the guy who's commentating on the parade is like, now here's something you don't see in many parades, and then the Shriners drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like can funny. you believe it? That's a that's a banner day when I saw an old man in a tiny car. <laughs> like, man, it just doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, like if you want to invoke that Patton Oswalt bit from like a decade ago about but, you know the. But it's funny that um, like I I really just didn't have that reaction of like oh you know this is this is a guy kind of like either. It wasn't um, one of them big city slickers coming here to just point and laugh at us. Well, yeah, like it isn't like it, it's it's 
you know, the tone is a little too wry and warm for it to be contemptuous, which is probably like, I don't think that I would have liked it if it had just been like, wow, you know, look at these fucking yokels with their stupid cultural practices and, you know, doing their yeah. dumb shit. It's, it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the charm that it does, but right. it, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's perfectly fair if it's a charm that you're immune to, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm absolutely immune to it. It's just not interest me whatsoever. Um, here's the, the thing that I think is actually interesting about this work in context, because if you consider at the time, um, talking heads, uh, were interested in a lot of like African music and a lot of, you know, non-Western you know, forms. Sort of, yeah. Forms. Yeah. And you know, that, that comes across to like, um, you know, Paul Simon at the, around the same time mm -hmm. was, was using a lot of African influences. And let's say that David Byrne made a movie that wasn't set in Texas, but was set in Africa. Or not even David Byrne. Like, if you wanted to do, like, one of those sort of um, you know, newsreels on, like, you know, native practices, if you wanted to do, like, a, you know, like a Mondo movie about, like, oh, here's these weird cultural practices of these, these backwater cultures... So he's doing there's, ethnography. Yeah, there's kind of a, uh, I don't know, like maybe two sides of the same coin going on here. Because if, like, we, we would absolutely be raking David Byrne over the coals if he did a, um, like, a smug, you know, ethno ethnography um, documentary about African music. It, it would be, like, if he did a deadpan, Gods Must Be Crazy... People would just be slack-jawed about that. They'd be like, you what? Mm -hmm. But if you flip it around and say, we're going to take that same sort of, hey, look at these weird cultures that you may not be familiar with, but we're going to do it about Western culture, that is interesting. Because if you can look at those two different, if you can look at like unfamiliar African culture or like unfamiliar Midwestern culture, and you can kind of compare and contrast those, there's an interesting juxtaposition there. Because it, it's saying that there is validity in all these different things, whether it's, you know, yokels and shriners, or it's, you know, rain sticks and, you know, drums or whatever. You say, oh, there, there are a lot of different influences that can be drawn from. There's a lot of, there's validity in all these different things. And, you know, David Byrne coming to do this you know, study of this mythical or, or this fictional town to be like, oh, here are some influences that might interest you that you might not have been aware of. That to me has merit and that is interesting because it does point out that there and it does kind of get a little hippy dippy. You know, I think as a musician, you know, Byrne is inclined to think of everything in musical terms. But if you want to say, you know, there's music in everything, there's art in everything. There's culture everywhere, and you don't need to limit yourself to any of these places. In that regard, True Stories does have merit, because it's saying, you know, here's here's something you might not have considered as being culturally valid, and I'm going to present that to you. That I like in it. I don't like the way the movie's presented, and I don't like any of the content of it, but the idea behind it, I get it. Right, and you do get a more 
multifaceted portrayal of this Texas town than you might see in another movie because, you know, we see like a, you know, a guy um, practicing like a syncretic religion. You know, you have um, uh, the guy who reads people's tones, you know, yeah. and also plays in like a Tejano band. Um, uh-huh. So it's, and, you know, I, I was born in the Southwest, so I'm like, yeah, you know, that, that, that does like square with uh, the, um, you know, the character of yeah. a southwestern southwestern town, and there are definitely nods to the. Even though this movie is kind of like David Lynch without the implicit violence, like they do mm-hmm. touch on kind of like violent frontier history, and you know, there's the the movie ends with like a very beautiful elegiac song, um, City of Dreams. And there's that a is line a great in, song, yeah. Yeah, and then there's that line about, you know, the, the you know, the indigenous people, and then there's just a, a very, like, frank lyric, you know, white men came and killed them. You yeah. know, in this beautiful ballad. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that is a part of the landscape. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, and, and getting back to my earlier point, like, if you know, in this movie, he isn't writing off this uh, marginalized culture in the same way that it's like, well, where would Talking Heads be if they just written off, you know, the entire continent of Africa and its music and culture in the same way? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there's, you know, you can see that, like, you know, there's art and beauty in all things. And, you know, we're all, you know, soulful beings in need of, you know, cultural enrichment. Yeah. You know, that's, and- that's a valid premise. And that's kind of what's touching about the movie, at least to my mind, is that it's, um, you know, these people are kind of living their little freakish lives, like some of them, in spite of a lot of what is stultifying about the American culture. You know, like uh, there's a line about the shopping mall has replaced the town square. And it's like, you know, and then there's a long sequence with a fashion show like in in a mall, like an indoor mall, which is mm-hmm. kind of wild to watch, like 30 plus years later, it's like, you know what, like if you went back to Virgil, Texas now, the town, mm-hmm. not the person, um, like that mall <laughs> would 100% be abandoned. Right, yeah, and a lot of it, I, I wasn't, I'm not really on board with it's like, hey, what's with all these malls, huh? You know, it's like, you know, commercialism, am I right? It, you know, I I was bracing myself for that because I was like, because, you know, having listened to the soundtrack so many times, um, you know, you got your, um, oh God, what's that? Uh, you know, Hey Now, the song, which is obviously about like, you know, kind of like childish consumerism. And I was like, <sighs> you know, and I love the album, but, you know, lyrics like that, especially you know, decades later are kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I get it. You know, like Americans are consumers and blah, blah, blah. I, and I was like, okay, like, is this just going to be like really fucking annoying? But it, because it was more like, it was more, it was more wry than I thought it was going to be instead of just like, Hey, look at this dumb bullshit that Americans do. It, it went down a little smoother. Yeah, it is still the same basic, you know, facile premise though. Right, but I mean that's a that's the United States. I like it's that's yeah. So well, why is that interesting then to say something that everyone kind of already agrees on? Well, I th- I think that 
because like, that's, like I'm not even clear on what you know Dave's thesis is in this, unless it's you know me projecting onto it being like oh you know there's art and music in all things. Well, yeah, it's a Shaggy Dog story. Like as I was watching this movie, I started it and I was like, I was a little trepidatious because I was like, you know, I remember like just not getting this movie at all when I watched it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to like this? And then I also had this kind of fear of, like, is this just going to be too twee for words? Like, this really could just be, like... Um, how did you put it about the, the audience where they just kind of go, like, hmm? Yeah, you know, just sort of, you know, smug and self-satisfied, I guess. Yeah, where it's like, oh, that that is droll. Yeah, I, like... You know, I really, th- I really felt like it was going to be that for me. Yeah. But... I was drawn into the movie for whatever reason, but as I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, Tim's going to hate this, isn't he? Shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, like, that's fair. Um, I'm, we I'm, certainly disagreed on movies before. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious how you recognized that I was going to hate it. Um, I felt that because it okay like any movie that you can describe as quirky like you're probably not gonna like am i correct uh that's i don't know if quirky is the right word but yeah you're definitely on the right track it's something that is really in love with itself i think that's the thing that i take issue with uh you know like i feel that i could try to argue against that because i was charmed by the movie but the fact that um David Byrne, like, kind of tried to disguise his vanity project. Yeah, like, it clearly is. I mean, it is a singular vision, and and, and that way I'm just... Like, there are directors who have a vision, and I do respond to their stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, good for, you know, good for Dave for making the kind of movie that he wanted to, but, I mean, I don't have to like it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't... Yeah, I really, like, throughout the whole thing, and it it is funny that you can't articulate what it is that I dislike about it because I can't articulate that either. I've known you a long ass time. That's all. Right. Okay. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know what he's getting at. Like, I don't like, I don't know what his thesis is, but like, whatever it is, I don't buy it. I just find it generally off putting. I don't know like what point he's trying to make. Or, like, what perspective he brings to this other than, like, here's a bunch of quirky stuff that you might not have known about, unless you did. Yeah, and, you know, what's equally inexplicable to me is, like, why I responded to it. I mean, like, I'm I'm fine with avant-garde stuff. I mean, you know, this isn't... I, I well, disagree. It's not, it's, it's it's not, not like... that avant-garde. That's the thing. Like, it's not... This isn't, like, some... Like, I mean, like, real talk. This isn't some, like, insane experimental head trip. Yeah, I guess it's... it's... really not. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it is more autistic than avant-garde. And, I mean, it isn't even, like, Lynchian surrealism. Like, it's... No, 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 it's... no. It's not, yeah. like... And Lynchian gets thrown around a lot and, like, it is, really yeah. easily. Yeah, and this is not that. No, no, no. Like, and I did say earlier, and I still believe, like, you know, it is kind of like Lynch without the implicit violence. But that's the thing. It's like without implicit violence, you're not going to have Lynch. 
So it's not Lynchian. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know what you would describe it other than avant-garde, even if it is like weak sauce avant-garde. Uh, because it isn't, I mean, you know, it isn't, uh, you know, Lynchian Andalou or anything. It isn't Borges. No. Well, it's it's uh, like slice of life is not avant-garde. Let's put it that okay, way. That's, and this is a slice yeah. of life. And it might just be that, you know, this is a slice of life that I was interested in and you were not, which is fine. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Like, yeah, it. it... Yeah, yeah, I'm watching it. I'm like, what am I supposed to get out of this, I guess? Because, like, it is, it's, it's kooky, but not funny. Yeah, well, at the same time, uh, like, I am, like, a little taken aback at, like, why I didn't hate it, because it could very easily have been something that I would detest. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's even confusing, too, because I, I think I mentioned in previous episodes, like, UHF in particular, I mean, here we go, you know, Weird Al versus Talking Heads, I guess we know, you know, like, Beatles versus Elvis, which side I really fall on. Um, but <laughs> Tim's only two frames of reference. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but like <laughs> the 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 two genders. Yes, yes. Weird Al are talking heads. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I, in our UHF episode, I talk about how much I I enjoy '80s kitsch. But then mm -hmm. True Stories comes along, and it's like, oh, you like '80s kitsch? Here you go. And I'm like, I do not like this. Yeah, but this is two completely different brands of humor. Like if like Weird Al is like visual gags, slapsticks, like yeah, satire, but very outrageous satire. Um, and Frank silliness. Mm -hmm. It's like this is it and again, this could have been something that I would just fucking loathe. Like, you yeah, know, if it... you describe something to me as like, oh, it's a it's a gentle comedy about human beings and i'd be like okay like yeah, i don't like, know man that is a like, hard pass yeah this doesn't sound like my speed but yeah, it's, a, it's this one drew me in it's a, it's like a light-hearted dancer in the dark <laughs> <You know? laughs> which um yeah it's not my that's not my favorite von trier right well i mean the, yeah well best von trier is antichrist like hands down antichrist is incredible yeah um, so this is not Antichrist. No, no, this, <laughs> uh, and yeah, unfortunately this review has been kind of all over the place. Um, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to like very, in a very granular way, go through the story beat by beat? Like, well, we should, no. we should maybe address like the things that happen or, you know, the characters in it. Like there's that lady who's a compulsive liar. And I mean, I'm sure that she represents, Hey, you know, everyone knows someone like this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, okay. There's that. Um, well, yeah. Well, um, to briefly stop in the lying lady. Yeah. I feel like you could definitely do an autistic reading of this character because if you are a person, and I was I was talking about this the other day with a, a friend who is on the spectrum, and you know, I I I asked them, have you ever seen There's Something About Mary? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so you know how. Um, People always do that thing in that movie to Ben Stiller's character where they'll say something like completely deadpan yeah. and he'll take it at face value and they'll be like, Ted, I'm fucking with you. And I always took that really personally, in spite of not being autistic, where it's like, but wait, like you said that to me like it was true. That, and they're like, well, no, yeah, it's that, not that, true, that, idiot. That has, that has big, it's just a prank bro energy. Right. And, you know, that's like an extreme kind of 
form of this. And I do wonder if like the lying lady isn't um, kind of an explication of like as an autistic person, you know, um, being faced with the things that people tell you and not and having a difficult time interpreting uh, mood or tone or whatever. Like, I mean, you know, if you were, if you were, um, not even if you were autistic, like if you were just a naive person and this lady told you like, oh yeah, like I wrote all of Elvis's songs, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were naive, you'd be like, oh damn, really? Yeah. I mean, John Goodman's character in the movie, you can tell that he's like very quickly picking up that this woman is full of shit, Mm -hmm. but you know, it is kind of a... Like, I feel like you could read that as, like, how an autistic person is confronted by the world. It's, like, this very difficult game of, like, trying to interpret, like, what people are telling you. Because, you know, sometimes you have a tendency to take things at face value. And it's like, oh, well, people lie. Like, what the fuck? Like, they don't just say what they mean? Yeah. That's that's... what I think The Lying Lady might be about. That's one way of interpreting it, yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the I could be off base. I don't know. Yeah, the the only developed character in this, I feel like, is John Goodman's character, which is just as well because you know, as we mentioned earlier, he's a great actor. He's good in everything that he does. Um, I I wanted to marry him. Right. Well, yeah, he's, a <laughs> he's so very sweet in actor. this movie. And it, and yeah, like I had mentioned several hours ago when we started this episode, um, <laughs> is that as a as a little kid, like trying to understand like what is funny. And seeing like the wild, you know, wild wildlife video, and then you go, because uh, yeah, it's a lot of goofy stuff happening. And then John Goodman, me n- <laughs> not getting out to see, you know, avant-garde movies as an eight-year-old, I'm like, hey, it's that guy who does comedy. He's shown up here, so this must be funny, right? And it's like, well, no, it's Talking Heads. It's avant-garde, sort of. But yeah, it's me just like yeah. being confused, bringing like. Okay, it's a comedic actor. You don't normally see them in music videos. Comedic actors do funny stuff. He's not really being funny, but he is just ah. That's this is my like unending conundrum of Talking Heads. Really, it, if we wanted to take Wild Wildlife as like the um uh like the the central theme of this movie, it would be like here's a bunch of a variety of different people who are all getting up and, you know, nominally uh, signifying that they have their own particular life. And, and you know, that's that's a philosophical uh, idea that I've seen online, like the notion of, you know, you, you pass someone on the street and realize that, like, you're the non-player character in their narrative, and, like, each of these people mm-hmm. have their own, you know, rich internal lives, like... Like all of our listeners, I'm we're just a small part of their lives, and isn't that weird? Um, so take wild. Wow, someone should make a, a vaguely wry and detached movie about. Yeah, it. I think Harmony Korine should. Um, so, <laughs> so you take Wild of a Life as like you know the the basic idea of um, of true stories, and then true stories of the movie is like the expanded universe. Um, it, where we go into all the backstory where it's like, hey, you know, those two characters in the background of the uh, Moss Eisley Cantina who are laughing, they deserve their own story. And then True Stories mm-hmm. is like, well, now we're going to hear all about the lady who doesn't get out of bed because she doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. So in that way, you know, True Stories is kind of 
superfluous to the album in the way that like remember there's a time when music videos like they they'd be like a short film like oh like two perfect mm-hmm. examples like um what like beat it and bad like was it oh no not beat it thriller like thriller mm-hmm. is a short film that has a musical interlude and bad you know directed by the uh the MCU hating uh Martin Scorsese like you know there's a whole like preamble to it and that is a way to introduce the video and i feel like true stories just kind of went all out with that and said we're doing a feature film to link most of the songs from the album true stories as done by actors rather than the talking heads that's a possibility and especially because like i think that um this ended up being a project that david byrne just kind of went his own way on yeah like if you take it that way and you're like oh it's a bunch of vignettes that don't really link up to anything like yeah since when did a music video need to have a, a through line and you can kind of forgive it yeah that way. and i remember um i remember this very specifically from uh what is that book called it's there's a book about the making of bonfire of the vanities the brian de palma film i think it's called the devil's candy but i'm not sure mm-hmm. oh yeah devil's but candy thing... that was another um indie horror film that sucked but go on oh was yeah it? It, it had one idea behind it and like it was about candy, but for the devil. Yes. No, um, <laughs> but no, this, it's, it's a very interesting book about the making of this De Palma film, which is, we all know, like went very wrong. Um, and there was, but I very specifically remember a bit in the book, which I'm going to relate to you probably imperfectly because I haven't read it in years, mm-hmm. but, um, there's a, there's a point where like De Palma has met with some, film students or like some aspiring PAs or something. And he's like looked at their work and, you know, he's watched some short from like a, a young director and, you know, which of course she's like very proud of, but De Palma says to her, like, you know, where's the story? Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically like a music video, you know, like there are a lot of like, uh, and you know, he says something like, you know, like, yeah, okay, there's some great imagery, but it's like, there's no story to mm-hmm. it. And, you know, this would have been like, 86 or 87 i guess and i feel as though the consensus at the time was like oh like you know the mtv generation is ruining filmmaking you know everything's like short little vignettes like everything's just about image you know nobody understands narrative anymore blah 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 i mean fast forward to now and you know we got tiktok Mm -hmm. and you know vine rest in peace um, yeah, kids these days. <laughs> or, uh, hey, remember 12seconds.tv? <laughs> Only just because you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Um, real heads know what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's a loaded phrase. Um, but Talking Heads was definitely like a, a band of the MTV era, you know, because they came up in the new wave and, you know, they did make like a bunch of like really arresting music videos. Like, you know, we all remember like, um, you know, burning down the house mm-hmm. and that image of like David Burns. His face projected head. onto the, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's like a really indelible image, like him performing in the video for once in a lifetime, you know, just those strange jerky motions of coming up for breath and going back down again. Yeah, those puppet motions. You may ask yourself, why such a big suit? Yeah, which, and it's so iconic that there's like, I mean, there's a parody with like Kermit the Frog doing it. (laughs) Like, that's how 
indelible this this image is. So, you know, maybe it maybe this is like a a film of the MTV era made by a very MTV band. What I, what do you think? Am I off base? Uh there's no reason that, you know, music videos can't also be art. Oh yeah, and like I would never I would never say that like um I you know, as I mentioned, like there are lots of these iconic videos. Um Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, you know, kind of a half-assed idea that I'm just throwing out on my shitty podcast. I don't know. Cool. Cool. That that all sounds good. Um I I feel like we haven't really talked much about the music because and there were definitely some things that I wanted to say about the music and as much as I love the soundtrack this is another this may be another case in which uh david byrne could maybe have let go a little bit and maybe he was constrained by the fact that it's like no it's like you're contractually obligated we need another talking heads album so we're gonna have talking heads perform this album which is fine like you want all those musicians but in terms of the vocals there are a couple performances in the movie and also like on the kind of like expanded deluxe edition of the soundtrack where like the the vocals are like way better than David Burns in my opinion and in the movie specifically I'm thinking of uh, Dream Operator and um, the uh, what's this oh Radiohead which yes that is where the band's name came from hey, um, now you know yeah uh Radiohead in the movie is performed by a musician named Tito Lariva. Um, he plays Ramon and he, at the talent show at the end, he sings Radiohead and like fucking kills it. He's really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Burns vocals on the, the album are like, they're fine. Yeah. But they don't have the same charm. And like the dream operator sequence, um, in the movie, the vocals are by uh, an actress named Annie McEnroe, and she kind of has this, like, breathy, like, Julie Cruz quality of her voice, like, not a trained singer, and it's it's gorgeous in the movie. Yeah. And on the album, you get David Byrne kind of crooning, like, this gentle ballad, and it's like, again, it's fine, but, like, I love the movie version. Yeah, I mean, maybe it means more of a gorillas thing where there's you know, more collaboration but you know this was what 30 years before gorillas so right and or, i this yeah. 20 and i don't know is does david byrne want to hand over his vocals necessarily like he might not no no he to... wouldn't even allow the uh, person who wrote the script to be the screenwriter <laughs> so well, yeah go. um so i don't like this movie and i don't like the way that its content is presented. Oh shit! I forget. There's one other. So I'm sorry to cut you off, Tim. But um, there's one vocal thing that I have to mention that is another. There's the the final example of a vocal that I believe really should have been handed off to a different person. Mm-hmm. Who was wasn't David Byrne? Is um when they do puzzling evidence, which is a you know a very cool fun song that's done in the movie in like a it, you know it's a preacher doing it. Yeah. yeah he talks about the trilateral commission yeah and it's like okay you know this is this is very americana you know conspiracist thinking and it's 
really on the fine edge for me because like halfway through the sequence, I was like, oh, this is some subgenius shit, isn't it? Yeah. Which, ugh. But whatever, I'll let it slide. Um, (laughs) I don't know, it doesn't seem out of place with anything else in this movie. No, no, these are are 100% people who would think the church's subgenius was like the funniest and most trenchant shit ever. Right. When, like, every person I've met who's, like, into that stuff was just, like, an absolutely insufferable nerd. Well, I mean, how is that any different than, like, what we're looking at here? It's, I mean, it, you know, it has, like, kind of a a, a, a wry sort of contentious look at Americana. Yeah, and, I mean, that's fair. If that's what you got from it, like, I, I don't... You know, I didn't get the tone of contempt that you did. Like, I don't know if maybe I was just being well, uh, I, I don't know, charitable or like giving the movie a bit more of a pass. Like, but again, like I was charmed by it and you were not, yeah, which is maybe fine. more condescending than contemptuous, maybe more like you know, a sort of ethnographer being like, Hey, look at these weirdos, yeah, like that whole, um, and you know, the, it does like you know, the whole subgenius thing, like the Bob Dobson, you know, the guy with the pipe mm-hmm. and all that shit. Like it, it reminds me of like, kind of like a very tired cliche, which is like, uh, you know, the, the, the 1950s vision of America, right. which, you know, it's like, yes, we all know that that's fatuous and that America was not actually leave it to beaver, you know? And, and like, it is funny because, um, you know, the eighties did have a real fixation on that fifties kind of utopia. Yeah. Like just look at, um, I mean, it's from the end of the decade, but Edward Scissorhands, like, that's a town that it takes place right. in is, like, 50s sanitized Americana. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that was, like, fresher in the 80s, like, more... Yeah, and, you know, malls and consumerism, like, those were, you know, hot topics yeah. at the time. A hot topic, incidentally, is inside the mall. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, it might have been oh. something that was more relevant at the time whereas you know it's kind of become like the background noise at this point we're just like oh yeah malls are bad consumerism is shallow yeah like i've grown up with that like we've heard that all our lives yeah it's kind of like watching stagecoach and be like this movie is so cliche <laughs> it's like no this movie invented the yeah cliches. i like Shakespeare but all the, cliches. <laughs> the point i was going to make about um the puzzling evidence sequence is that um the actor in the sequence uh john engel rest in peace like i'm sorry dude but um he looks great and he's totally convincing as a preacher like has a great voice to preach but the singing part of his performance like absolutely falls flat and like (laughs) and (laughs) i i hate to say it because everyone knows how i feel about uh quote-unquote theater people but i'm like i'm sorry this is a case in which i would have absolutely cast like a very flamboyant theater type vocalist yeah like it you know kind of like the 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 growly like old man vocal like doesn't suit the song at all i feel like it should have been more gospel and and wild and out there just my yeah. opinion yeah i mean that's that's the way you're looking at it um the album version is fine. yeah um so the the other thing too, I'm you know make, drawing connections here, like you know I mentioned um, you know, Gummo <clears throat> and Magnolia before, and I don't, I don't, I don't know enough to say whether or not like you know this sort of road movie genre thing was sort of pioneered with 
true stories, but I did find it interesting that the Pet Shop Boys I'm With Stupid video has like the similar kind of vibe to it. And you know, going one step further, like even Little Britain is sort of that same, you know, we're going to have, you know, these quirky little vignettes about these oddball characters. Right. And I'm, you know. What about League of Gentlemen? Who? <laughs> that is one of the most horrifying comedies I've ever seen. Um, That's a quirky show, right? right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's in the doing of it that, that matters. But like, oh man! So in this movie you have Papa, you have Papa Legba, and then in uh, League of Gentlemen you have Papa Lazarus. Yeah, there. Yeah. So, what happens if the two meet? <laughs> well, oh god, Papa whoever is going to be his bride now. That's a horrifying wife, thought. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Dave. Oh god. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So like, I don't know if the I'm with stupid video would exist without true stories which is you know sort of the merit of avant-garde cinema in that it, you know sort of pushes the boundaries i don't know if i'm necessarily have to like this movie to like what came after well, it um it's funny that you mentioned pet shop boys yeah because have you seen their sole feature film it it couldn't happen here no, but I guess you'll just have to subscribe to our Patreon for $2 a month to <laughs> listen to that episode. I mean, because, um, like, I'll, you know, I'll go to bat for this movie. Like, I think I think Tim's perspective is, is absolutely fair. Like, if it's, you know, it might just be, like, a taste thing or, like, his, you know. But, like, your criticisms are, like, also valid. I feel like you could advance that case just as well as you could advance my case. It couldn't happen here like that movie does not work and it is like oh this is a, a kind of quirky satirical vision of not Texas but Britain and oh my god it is dire. Yeah. It is not a good movie. Well, I guess I guess we found what, you know, Pet Shop Boys strength and, is and is not. And you think David Byrne is like a little bit like stiff on camera like you haven't seen neil Tennant and chris lowe attempting to act <laughs> i would never figure chris lowe for someone to be stilted in front of a camera <laughs> but oh oh lord yeah. man so yeah. uh <laughs> so i want to derail things because um please yeah so true stories didn't resonate with me but it did remind me of a profoundly similar comedy special from Showtime that I saw around the same time uh, same year in fact they both came out in 1986 um, Rich Hall uh, one of the players on Saturday Night Live who coincidentally did a David Byrne impression that's where I got the you might ask yourself why such a big suit was a <laughs> SNL bit but he did a, a special that was Rich Hall's Vanishing America where he goes through this, you know, comedy sort of tour uh, set off by um, he he used to sell seeds off of the back of a comic book as a kid, but he never got his uh, Wilt Chamberlain branded basketball hoop and uh, basketball. So he so as an adult, he he goes across America to try and find the company to get his to get his prizes, and in that he he goes through all these small towns and has these funny little vignettes and I thought that it was interesting that 
these two sort of road movies came out the same year, pretty similar in style and context by the actor who did a parody of a David Byrne video. Do you, do you, do you remember at all Rich Hall? I got to say, you have the advantage on okay. me. That's that's probably like some kind of a unforgivable, unforgivable cultural gap for me, but I, well, I do not remember well, I mean, he, he's, he's like a he's a second tier SNL person. I mean, you know. He's... Well, was this like a, was this like a, because we all know that the most reviled period of SNL was um, the Gene Dumanian era with... Um, you know, 1981, Charles Rocket and all those people. And the only bright spot was when, like, Eddie Murphy showed up and kind of got the show back on track. Was this, like, another dire period well, for well, SNL? Because the... I, I feel like the mid-'80s were. Well, yeah. It, I mean, this was 1986, so it would have been right in that spot. Like, Was that the Robert Downey era of SNL? Yeah, that sounds, Robert Downey yeah, Jr.? That sounds about right. Yeah, I think that was considered another... Um, Nadir. <laughs> well, yeah, you can be forgiven for not, you know, being up to date with that. But yeah, Rich Hall, uh, and again, like it's dated now, but like he, you know, most uh, significantly did a Paul Harvey impression. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a deep dive. Right. Yeah. But he did this, he did uh, Rich Hall's Vanishing America, which you can find on YouTube. Um, incidentally, I get Rich Hall confused with Neil Young for some reason. I guess they just got that same look. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's weird because I can't figure. Oh yeah. Rich Hall. He's saying a needle in the damage. Yeah. The, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Founded the bridge. School. Yeah. He did it in the Paul Harvey voice. Um, but he, <laughs> but like that, both these things came out the same year. I can't like chicken and egg this, you know? So right. well, I don't know if it was just something that was in the zeitgeist. Yeah, but I think you might be right. Yeah, but he does like kind of this comedy backroads, you know, documentary. It's got M. Emmett Walsh in it. It's got um, uh, Harry Anderson in it for about thirty seconds. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Soy facing. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah, and speaking of you know Harmony Corinne either earlier, like it's got kind of like a trash humpers vibe to it. We're just like maybe it's because it's on VHS, <laughs> but it's just so like lo-fi. But he, mm-hmm. he just goes through all these, you know, different little vignettes. Like he, um, you know, he's, he's trying to get across country to, you know, get his basketball and hoop. And a guy lends him his car and it's this beater until it finally breaks down. And then he upgrades to a, um, like a soapbox derby racer. And it's, I don't know, like it has like this weird sort of uh, affinity for, you know, Americana. Like it, it's the only reason that I know about like wax lips and bubblegum cigars like mm. that that and rocket fizz are like the only like two touchstones for this thing so i don't know he just kind of goes across to, you know in this road trip from like you know uh gas stations and diners and dive bars and drive-ins i don't know maybe someone could make a reality tv show about those things uh, <laughs> Perhaps a cooking focus. Yeah, show. yeah, that might be interesting. So with a flamboyant host. Yeah, and and the funny thing too is that in addition to that, he does this one like, um, I don't even remember the name of the song, but you remember the giant piano from Big, like the piano mm-hmm. keys. He does that bit. And huh, this predi- before yeah Big. before Big, so he does it with the um, 
like the 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 tube at um a, a gas station like when you drive over and the bell rings he does right. that and it's the same song which is interesting huh yeah so uh i i looked it up and the people mentioned you know, charles Kuralt's on the road segments being an influence so that might have mm-hmm. been kind of the genesis of this and true stories um but the funny thing is that you know this vanishing america was just done as you know like a, a series of bits of you know rich hall doing goofy stuff and doing his paul harvey impression and like is this other oddball character like this kind of greasy haired gormless weirdo that wanders into frame but um <laughs> but the funny thing is that looking up vanishing america on youtube i see that Rich Hall has then parlayed this into like a whole career. He's had a number of specials on BBC Four where he talks about mm. like, you know, Westerns and like how they've been, you know, maligned. And he talks about sort of the, um, uh, the similarly maligned character of Geronimo and, mm-hmm. and a lot of other sort of Americana esoterica, uh, and you know he, he talks about um even even just like like the concept of of a road movie and you know this being on the BBC he's like you can't really have like a road movie in the UK because you're just going to be stuck in traffic on you know the M4 or whatever behind you know some you know either with like road construction or some top gear doofus in a triple decker you know motorhome well yeah and you know america has a a car culture that is probably completely mind-boggling and inexplicable to people from Europe. Yeah, yeah, to you know, from a country the size of Pennsylvania, you don't have this, the notion of, you know, driving across like, you know, this vast wilderness and, you know, seeing these majestic vistas. So, he does an episode, you know, he does a special just about like the road trip as a concept. And it's funny that this all started because, you know, this one you know, this one-off goofy vanishing America bit where, you know, he drives around in a go-kart and you know so so he can meet mm-hmm. mm at walsh and get his get a basketball from when he was a kid but i yeah i just found it interesting like the the connection of these two things because i still remember that from my childhood in the same way i remember talking heads videos and being like this is weird but it's not funny <laughs> but it stuck with me both of them for some reason so what i'm getting is that you would have preferred to do this Rich Hall thing rather than True Stories. And they they are both of a type. <laughs> I mean, True Stories might be like the uh, I don't know. Considering that um, you had invoked uh, Crash earlier, True Stories might be you know the Cronenberg Crash, and Rich Hall's Vanishing America might be the Oscar-winning Crash. Oof. I mean, okay, yeah, that's that. That's very yeah, unkind, you're Rich right. Hall. Because have you seen the Oscar-winning crash? No, I have not. Why would I? That sounds awful. I, yeah, I had I had to run it at my old job, and like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, well, I mean, that movie is so embarrassing. Right. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's sort of. <laughs> I can't think of a better example because I'm, you know, not smart. But um, the it, it's sort of, it's the the movie that influences the movie that everyone's seen. Like that's, that's what we're talking about. Um, well, I think that maybe because you also like made a point about, um, like you also compared and contrasted UHF with true stories. And it's like, you know, maybe we're talking about two different kinds of, of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that might be like, you know, a, like an SNL alum is going to do a very different brand of humor than a weird guy from a band. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, and, and you know, like going back to the very first Have You Seen This episode where we talked about Ishtar, uh-huh. which I found very funny, surprisingly, and you less so. And again, it was a um, it was a matter of the type of humor mm-hmm. being deployed, where a lot of it, which was kind of character based, like which I, I thought was funny and in some time in some ways touching, and you were just like, "This is tedious." Yes, which again is is fair, mm-hmm. um, because uh, you know I'm sure there might be people out there. I don't know if they're listening to this show. Um, they're they're probably more likely to listen to Come they got Town better things than, to do with their like, time than Prairie Home Companion. But uh. you know there are people who will defend like that brand of of humor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I, I and you know I can think of movies that I just straight up didn't vibe with. Like you know you loved No Country for Old Men, and while I thought it was good, uh-huh. I just it didn't resonate with me the same way that it did with you. Yeah. And yeah, that's the same way that I feel about true stories. As I think thing you mentioned earlier is that like, I see the merit in it, but I don't like it in the same way that I think talking heads are like, I like talking heads, but they're not making me laugh. I don't know. Like they're, they're, they're odd, but not funny. Well, yeah. Although they can be like, fucking job, Tim. Well, and, uh, you know, kind of jumping off from that, like I really do like Talking Heads. I like a lot of their music, but they were they weren't a band that I became obsessed with because there were lots of bands that I became like really really obsessed with, and you know, Talking Heads wasn't one of them, even though like I really enjoyed them, and you know, a couple of their albums are like among my favorite albums. Yeah, but um. And yeah, like often it and it doesn't even have to be like an an attitude that you get from the participants. You know, it isn't it doesn't even necessarily have to be like a, a tone that you don't vibe with. Like it can just be like, yeah, it's not my flavor. Yeah. Uh and I don't know, I mean I'm at least uh you know, to borrow a phrase on the spectrum, like I mean I like they might be giants and they're kinda of in that same mold. That is profoundly nerdy yes (laughs) (laughs) like if i were trying to think of like the nerdiest bands Mm -hmm. like they would be like in the top five right yeah and even even they might be giants are a little kind of on that you know spawning gray lake wobegon spectrum right and it might be why like they never really appealed to me because honey you are missing out (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, how about we? You get a you get your favorite. They might be giants album. I'll get my favorite Rush album, and we'll play them for each other. Okay. Well, I'm, I mean, it would it would of course be Flood. That it, 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 so it's Flood versus, um, what twenty one Power Windows. Power Windows, really? You're gonna go to bat for that piece of shit? <laughs> you bet I am. And like for anybody listening, like if you're gonna come at me about fucking power windows you better think again because that i'm fucking rules is that like a, a delightful visual pun too yeah probably i don't know this is all nerd yeah, shit yeah. but um, um we've been well um you 
you'll want to finish your point before I wrap up. Oh, no, like, they, they Might Be Giants were at least entertaining to me in the way that, like, uh, True Stories is not. Um, mm-hmm. If we want to go back maybe to, like, the the, the source of this, there's um, uh, Grover's Corners from Our Town. Right. That could yeah. be, you know, as much an inspiration for Vanishing America as True Stories as... I'm with stupid as gummo or magnolia or any of that. So these are all of a type, but I think, you know, true stories is just a little too aspy for me, even with John Goodman for me to be, to like get something out of it. Right. And, you know, by contrast, like, um, it was like I plugged into the wavelength that this movie was on and I was, I was with it. Yeah. Which, there's no, like, value judgment implied there. It's like, you know, sometimes you vibe with a movie and sometimes you don't, you know? Yeah, and, like, I I get its point, but I don't, I don't like the way it presents it, I guess. Because there, mm-hmm. there are some neat things, and, I mean, we are seeing, you know, like, this is, you know, sort of Americana, you know, folk culture. And even, you know, they play up a lot about them building the stage for this show that's going to happen for some reason. And, you know, the show itself is a little goofy. Like, there's this, those two auctioneers opposite, like, the guy yodeling. And that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, is reminiscent of the sideshow during the uh, fundraiser for UHF. I don't know mm-hmm. why one hits and the other doesn't. I think one of them is just played too straight to the point where I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. But them building the stage and then leading up to it, it does kind of have the same sort of... Um, uh, like it makes the same sort of impression as like a barn raising, you know, where it's like this is, mm-hmm. you know, salt of the earth, you know, American sort of folk culture. Um, yeah, where, you know, it's people getting together for, you know, you know, we're just going to do a little show. It's cause sort of like, um, hell, mm-hmm. it could even be, you know, waiting for Guffman or something. <laughs> Can I just say how fucking suave, John Goodman is when he steps up to the mic for his song. Yeah, and that's if if like the narrative of that held together better, you'd you'd really feel it. But it's yeah, it's it's great that you know his character has this arc where you know he does end up marrying the woman who you know is independently wealthy and stays in bed all day after being unlucky in love. You know, meeting all these weirdo women. I liked when um they uh, there's a character who describes a. Uh, uh, the lazy woman. That's literally how she's described yeah. in the in the in the credits. Uh, she says about her, she's got enough money that she doesn't have to get out of bed. Like you know, wouldn't you? And I'm like, oh, Tim would absolutely say yeah, yeah, that. I get that. Um, oh, I love that. So that. I think that's my favorite song on the album. People like us. Yeah. That that one didn't really hit with me, but I'm not going to say that it's a bad song. I mean, because the songs. The Talking Head songs that I do like, I really like, even if I can't remember yeah. the lyrics or their names. And um, you know, in this case, like I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with David Byrne's vocal on the album version, but um, and this is John John Goodman's like abilities coming through, where he's like not a trained singer. You know, he's a little bit shy, but like he's feeling himself and like even though he doesn't have like the strongest voice, like he just sells the vocal and it's so good. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the song is a little sentimental and it's really touching. Mm-hmm. 
And it's um, much better than the earlier version. What was that? <laughs> that <laughs> I loved how um, <laughs> when he he doesn't. <laughs> I texted you about this, but the part where he's trying to, he's trying to sing it to his date, mm-hmm. who's this insufferably cute woman in a cute house who only wants to think about cute things. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have lyrics for a part yet, and so he just goes meow 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> relatable um but going back to the lazy woman i think we can probably wrap up with the lazy woman being a lazy woman yourself yes oh yeah like this is it's just great to see myself represented on screen um (laughs) yeah you want to see yourself yeah in 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 culture i hope to one be one day be a very successful lazy woman but well you're halfway um, there (laughs) I feel that in a maybe a movie from an earlier time or a movie that was slightly more conventional, the lazy woman would have an arc where she would be obliged to get out of bed. Well, she does. But does she? Yeah, to like to call up John Goodman. It's briefly done. Yeah, because right, but okay, yeah. You're right. I but no, I think I can still make this reading okay, work, goddammit. <laughs> because yes, she does get out of bed to call John Goodman. Thank you for pointing mm. that out. Thank you for keeping me Honest, you know yes, sharp. Yeah. But they get married and he's in bed with her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't the implication is not that, you know, she's going to lead a life out of bed now that she's married. It's like she has this particular ne- particular niche and she's going to share it with someone. And I think for me, that's the that absolutely fits in with my autism reading of the movie where you have a town which is like a celebration of they're having a celebration of specialness. And if you're a weirdo who doesn't feel like getting out of bed, mm-hmm. that's okay. And in fact, you might find somebody who can share it with you. Yeah. And, you know, that John Goodman ultimately finds, you know, someone who appreciates him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's good for his character's arc. Even though he was, like, obviously, like, a hit with the audience. I mean, yeah. Like, he, yeah. And he's so above everyone else that he meets with but you know hey that's it's life in a small town isn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you know good for him good for the lazy woman you know keeping it real on behalf of lazy people everywhere (laughs) uh final thoughts about true stories uh true stories is a movie about stories that may or may not have been true <laughs> I'm like William Gibson doing that voice. Not William Gibson, um, Henry Gibson. I don't know how William Gibson sounds. <laughs> this movie is readily available on. Uh, I don't think it's streaming right now, but there is a Criterion Blu-ray. It can be had. Um, I would recommend it. Tim obviously would not. No. <laughs> um, but Tim, if you were going to dissuade people from watching this, what would you say? <laughs> I would say that um, ah, I didn't have anything prepared. I would say that um, there are a lot of other movies like this one that you can enjoy. Um, you might want to you know. might want to check out you know the Rich Hall series on BBC. 
Um, you can watch the I'm with Stupid video and be like, hey, what are these people in rural Britain are just a cut up. Um, you can uh, watch League of Gentlemen. That that's That'll make you question your sanity. Um, what else is good that you could watch other than true stories? You could listen to Remain you know in what? Light. Uh, that album is great. Um, no, you know, I'm going to suggest that people watch Computer Chess. <laughs> Just off the cuff? Yeah, that movie rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's good. It's completely out of nowhere, but yeah. Um, yeah. In, in conclusion, watch 2013's Computer Chess. And also True Stories if you want to. <laughs> see if you like. See it if you see it if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what else I would say about it other than like I I see merit in it, but I don't like it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's like you know the <laughs> the notion that you know American folk culture is as valid as you know African culture as whatever culture. You know, don't be a snob to different um, influences either musically or culturally. Also, you don't have to like everything. That's, yeah. that's, that's uh, my, true, me saying it. True Stories, an ethnographic film made by an autistic person. Yes, so if an alien wanted to come down and examine rural Texas, this is what you'd get. Well, the, the, the little kid who leads John Goodman into uh, Papa Legba's house, mm-hmm. um, he, I noticed that, and I had to freeze frame to read it but he's wearing a shirt that says only visiting this planet oh and that that does kind of sum up the feel <laughs> of true stories and that kid grew up to be brother from another planet <laughs> <laughs> yeah watch that watch a john sales movie i love john sales yeah. he's he's awesome are we done mm-hmm.